You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with progress being made on the Eagle Bluff wildfire burning near Osuyus. Many residents have returned home with most of the town no longer under an evacuation order. Cassidy Moscone joins us live from Osuyus. It's been a stressful couple of days for residents, Cassidy. It absolutely has, Sophie, but I think you can say the feeling down here for many of the residents is just relief and gratitude for our firefighters. As you said, many of them have returned to their homes when the evacuation order was downgraded from 732 homes down to 192 homes this afternoon, but pretty much the entire town remains on alert tonight. As night fell, Eagle Bluff burnt orange. Osuyu spent its second night on edge as embers illuminated the dark sky. As firefighters worked tirelessly throughout the night, residents woke to clear skies that quickly clogged up with smoke. Eagle Bluff still ablaze, strong winds fanning a farmer's worst nightmare. It's farming and Mother Nature is going to decide what, uh, what we deal with every year, so it's just what it is. This is local winemaker Mike Dowell's sixth wildfire. He's got a front row seat to the firefight from his vineyard and says the industry would be wiped out if flames jump the valley. You're going to complete rebuild. You'd be having to replant all the grapes and then you're waiting three to four years before you even have a meaningful harvest from those grapes. So there would be a big, big decline in production and we would all just kind of be starting fresh again and it would be uh, really sad. This is what crews have been up against. Ferocious flames burning dangerously close to homes that came rolling into BC from Washington State on Saturday night. You can actually feel the heat and the smell and the crackling noises and the sirens and you know people there was a lot of panic in town when the evacuation order zone was reduced this afternoon hi welcome back you can head back to your home you could see just how close the fire got residents returning to their homes some frustrated this is crazy it's because they don't get out when they should others elated we're at kentucky elaine lake camping we've seen facebook videos videos seen the news and uh yeah it's almost uh, better to not be here for something like this i guess members from the first nations emergency services society could be seen working to protect spotted lake in a firefight that's not over yet so far, about 1,450 hectares of land has been burnt through. And we know just how quickly that these fire conditions can change, but it's just remarkable that no property has been damaged or destroyed. And tonight, there's more than 2,500 homes here in Osuyus on alert. The cause of this fire is still undetermined. Sophie. All right, still a lot of smoke in the hills behind you. Thanks for that. Cassidy Moscone reporting in Osuyus. We are learning more about the young firefighter from Ontario who died while battling the Donny Creek wildfire here in B.C. In an online obituary, the 25-year-old has been identified as Zachary Freeman Muse. His family announcing with deep sadness the passing of a kind, beloved son, brother and friend. Muse was killed Friday when the utility terrain vehicle he was riding rolled over a steep drop on a gravel road in a remote area north of Fort St. John. He is the fourth person to die fighting Canadian wildfires this year. 
And RCMP are now confirming the tragic death of a young child at an Okanagan campground over the weekend. It happened on Saturday at the Okanagan Lake Provincial Campground when a tree came crashing down onto a three-year-old boy. Campers tell Global News it happened in the south end of the park. According to RCMP, the child and his family had been visiting the area from the lower mainland. We don't know why it fell. Obviously, they're going to have to bring in some tree experts. And the BC, like I said, the BC Coroner Service is the lead investigator, and they'll have all that information when it's available to them. The BC Coroner Service says it can't provide any further details because this is an open investigation. Well, one person is dead and several others injured in a crash in Vancouver's Mount Pleasant neighborhood. A collision the VPD describe as catastrophic. Grace Key has one survivor's account of what happened and video that shows speed was clearly a factor. This security video shows just how fast the red Cadillac was traveling when it ran a red light, striking a cab with two passengers and then the white car, killing a 26-year-old Uber driver and sending seven people to hospital. The impact so loud it woke up neighbors. There was definitely a, a long squealing of, of, of brakes prior to the, uh, to the hit. And then it was a big impact, so you could tell that there was... It was definitely some speed speed involved. The collision happened just before 2 in the morning at the intersection of Main and 12th Avenue in Vancouver. The driver in the red Cadillac, just 17 years old, a boy from Abbotsford with three other teenagers in the car. I just know that one of the police officers just walked up to him. I guess the driver and said that he's going to be arrested. The cab driver tells us he was heading south on Main when he stopped right here for a red light. Once it turned green, he started to go, and that's when the Cadillac struck him as it was heading east on 12th Avenue. I just saw him like the movies, just a flash of one thing hitting me. I was spun like three or four times. This guy hit me, and I was facing the opposite side of which I was traveling. The teen in the red Cadillac had an N license and would have been restricted to one passenger only. And that'll form part of our investigation. But this is a criminal investigation. This is not a Motor Vehicle Act investigation. We believe there's enough evidence as a result of what we know about the driving behavior and what was happening um, inside that vehicle. We, we believe we have enough information to be conducting a criminal investigation. Police say the taxi driver and two passengers were treated and released from hospital. The teenagers suffered various injuries, including broken bones. Police believe the Cadillac was traveling east on 12th Avenue between Oak and Main Street and are asking for witnesses or video of the car. The driver was arrested and charges are pending. Grace Key, Global News. Coquitlam RCMP are investigating a serious crash involving a motorcycle and a semi-truck. It happened this afternoon just before 1 at United Boulevard and Burbage Street. It's not clear whether anyone was hurt. Officers shot down United Boulevard in both directions while they collected evidence. Police are asking anyone who witnessed the collision or anyone who has video to contact investigators. Surrey RCMP say a man has died after a hit and run over the weekend. Police say the 31-year-old man was hit in the 8200 block of 128th Street just after 1230 Saturday morning. He later died in hospital. The driver fled. Police are trying to identify the vehicle and believe it's a blue sedan with front-end damage. RCMP believe there were many people in the area when the man was hit or shortly afterward. And they're asking anyone who was there or who has dash cam footage to get in touch. 
Well, as we head toward another summer long weekend, historically the busiest weekend for BC Ferries, the corporation is promising to do better, but it is still warning some travelers of potential delays. Richard Zussman reports. It's long been the surefire way to get on a BC Ferry. Just walk on. That's no longer the case. I feel like it'd be a little excessive to try to book a walk-on ticket. We've been advising people to book walk-ons for a year. Just for the sake of making sure you have a spot. That's what we've been hearing as islanders. Due to a bunch of large group reservations, BC Ferries warning walk-on tickets may sell out this week and into the weekend. Specifically on Tuesday, the 9 a.m. from Tawasana Swartz Bay, nearly full. So is the 5 p.m. coming back. A few days later on August 4th, the 3.15 from Duke Point to Tawasin has walk-on pressure. On August 5th, the 9 a.m. from Victoria to Vancouver, nearly full for walk-ons. So is the return at 5 p.m. For those who are ready to book, about 50 foot passenger bookings per sailing are being made available without cost. If you're traveling as a walk-on passenger, we would suggest you do arrive about 45 minutes early. So that's earlier than you would normally show up. And if you are able to book and get on as a walk-on, the advice is don't bring your car. There are concerns the lots will fill up very quickly this weekend as they did last weekend. We do suggest to customers if you can take public transit or if you can get a friend or family member to drop you off, uh, that's a great way to go. This comes as BC Ferries braces for the busiest weekend of the year, the August Long. It's been rocky seas this summer for BC Ferries. The coastal celebration has been sidelined twice and drivers have experienced in some cases six or seven sailing waits without a reservation on the main routes. BC Ferries is an extension of our highway system. It's not a, a nice to have, it's a necessity for many folks, uh, whether they're getting across for medical appointments, work, to visit their family. So they need to do a better job of what they're doing right now. Another long weekend turning into a long wait weekend for those ferry travelers not planning in advance. Richard Zussman, Global News, Swartz Bay. An unpleasant surprise for drivers at the gas pumps today as prices have climbed to more than $2 a litre in most areas of Metro Vancouver. Janet Brown joins us in Langley where gas is uh, 2.07 at this hour, Janet. Good afternoon, Sophie. Yes, prices across Metro Vancouver seem to be ranging from 204 a liter up to 207 a liter, depending where you live and where you go to get your gasoline. And people we talked to at the pumps today are not very impressed. I'm fortunate that I have a good job and stuff like that, but uh, I have friends and family that are really struggling right now with not only gas costs, but food costs as well. As it is, it's already expensive to drive around. Now it's that much more and it's, I can't even fill up. It's just, I got put in just enough for the day because it's to keep up, it's ridiculous. Now, Sophie, Dan McTague with Canadians for Affordable Energy says there are several reasons for the price increase today. Number one being supply and demand. He says demand is up roughly 3% over last summer. But there is also, he says, the price of oil. It's gone up at roughly $10 a barrel in the last two weeks. And we asked him how far and how high the price of gasoline could go in coming weeks. I think the high end could see another 10 cents added maximum. We're not going to go back to where we were on October 7th when we hit the all-time record of 241.9 here in the lower mainland Vancouver. Uh, but we're not going to see what we saw, you know, mid-February of $1.58 either. 
I think the low end would be $1.92, high end would be a little closer to 216, 217. So that means that uh, we may not have seen the peak yet. Now, Sophie, there's a rather curious development here in Langley at this Shell gas station. About an hour ago, the price of gasoline here was 204 a liter. And in the last 10 minutes, it dropped down to $1.88.9 a litre. I ran in to ask the operator what gives, and he said he had no idea, just that he received a directive from head office to drop the price. And in the last couple of minutes, the price has gone up one penny to $1.89.9. So it'll be curious, I think, to see if other stations across Metro Vancouver follow suit. Back to you. Wow, the mystery of gas prices. Uh... Yeah. I'm sure you'll start yeah. seeing a lot more cars lining up at the gas station where you are, Janet. Thank you. Canada's Industrial Relations Board says a new tentative agreement between B.C. port workers and their employer must be put to a vote before the end of day Friday. The board also issuing a warning to union leadership that it would be an unfair labour practice if they changed their mind on the agreement. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union Canada and the B.C. Maritime Employers Association reached a deal Sunday evening. That breakthrough came after union members had voted down a previous agreement just two days earlier. One expert is predicting workers will approve the new deal if it addresses their concerns regarding job security and contracting out. As best we can tell, and we don't know a lot, the, uh, the revised agreement does address uh, those issues. We don't know how well or you know, what, what the members will think about it, but at least it's part of the package. Professor Mark Thompson says if union members vote down the tentative deal, the dispute will likely go to binding arbitration, in which a neutral arbitrator would listen to both parties' concerns and impose a final agreement. BC Hydro says it has crossed a major milestone in the construction of the Site C project. The earth-filled dam, standing about 20 stories tall, is now complete. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this uh, Keith, what does it mean to finally see some video of the dam? Yeah, it's been eight years, almost to the day since construction began of the dam. It's about two years since that earth-filled dam construction began on that. So every time we get drone footage up from up there from BC Hydro, it's very impressive. An engineering marvel. Take a look at some of the latest pictures. We're talking about a one-kilometer long dam, as you mentioned, 60 meters high. That's about 20 stories. 500 meters across. Again, a massive structure up there. Still a lot of work to be done, though. We caught up with Greg Alexis from BC Hydro, who walks us through the next steps to come. The completion of the Earthfield Dam is definitely a significant announcement. Um, the dam itself is an important piece of the project and without it we wouldn't be able to fill the reservoir. We have a lot of work still left to do this summer. Uh, there's a few other key areas of the project that need to be finished such as the approach channel, the dam intakes and the spillways and providing we can get those completed uh, towards the end of this summer, we're aiming to start filling the Site C reservoir uh, as early as this fall. So some of the other things that have to happen now, we're going to, they're going to start capping the dam and putting roads up there so crews can get around. As you heard Greg Alexis say, the reservoir is set to fill, start filling up in the fall of 2023, just a few months from now. Now, in terms of the power, it's expected to come online in 2025. It's expected to generate enough energy to power the energy needs 450,000 homes or 1.7 million electronic vehicles. So, again, a sorely needed infrastructure project that was controversial at the beginning with our big push to electrification, Site C is needed more than ever. Mm. All right, thanks for that, Keith. A Gastown Cafe is calling it quits. 
but we are paying to get out of our lease because we don't want to be here. After 13 years, why they've finally had enough. Next on the News Hour. I know you are, but what am I? Saying goodbye to Pee Wee Herman, the passing of Paul Rubens, the man behind a favorite childhood character, still to come tonight. Plus. And if he wasn't there, I don't know. Words of gratitude from two parents after a good Samaritan pulls their daughters out of a burning car. That's coming up later. Right now, though, a popular Vancouver coffee shop is shutting down its Gastown location, leaving the neighborhood for good. After a pandemic slowdown and uptick in crime, the owner of J.J. Bean says enough is enough. Kristen Robinson reports. After 13 years in the Woodward's building, J.J. Bean is packing up. It's such a loss. I feel a bit abandoned. The last customers, sad to see their coffee shop close, but these regulars also watched Gastown decline during COVID. We definitely saw a deterioration um, over the last couple of years even. Something like this closing, um, it's just going to be another vacant spot in this, you know, neighborhood. Our security and West Bank security are working more closely together. Um, the solution is to have more people, have a larger presence. It's too late for J.J. Bean's founder, who's fed up with the neighborhood and replacing broken windows every month. We are paying to get out of our lease because we don't want to be here. John Neat says the highest price was paid by his employees who faced abuse every day. And he denied him access to the washroom and this person picked up a milk jug and threw it at him and threatened the staff at the same time. But it's not going to be a quick fix. These are very complex societal issues. Councillor Peter Meisner says hiring is underway on the ABC Majority's campaign promise for 100 new police officers and 100 mental health nurses. What do you say to business owners who say they won't be opening any new stores in Vancouver? Well, safety, public safety in Vancouver is a top priority for mayor and council, and we're working very hard with our partners and senior levels of government, as well as on the ground. Commercial Drive, we have now full bars across all the windows. We don't want anybody to feel like they're in prison, but that's what Steel Gates feels like. This after someone broke the door at 4 a.m. during an overnight baker's shift. As one J.J. Bean closes, the coffee roaster says it'll do what it takes to protect staff at its other Vancouver locations. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The killing of a Gurdwara president shocked Surrey's Sikh community last month, with some believing foreign interference from India was involved in the death of Hardeep Singh Nijar. As Global's Kamal Karamali reports, a new petition wants the Canadian government to look for answers. The killing of a prominent Sikh activist outside of a Surrey temple more than a month ago has left the community reeling. It's a fear in the community as well. They really want to know like who the, who the behind it. Now prompting calls for the federal government to look into allegations there was foreign involvement in the death of Hardeep Singh Nijar. India government um, make uh, so many allegations on him 
and uh, like his uh, on his character, uh, he's a like a terrorist. 45-year-old Niger was largely known in BC as a positive force, but the Indian government claims he was part of a conspiracy to murder a Hindu priest, and in July of 2022, offered a reward of one million rupees for Niger's arrest. Hardeep Singh Niger was also a strong advocate for an independent state for India's Sikh minority called Khalistan. Signs of it everywhere here at this Gurdwara. Niger was killed at Surrey's Guru Nanak Sikh Gurdwara mid-June. The Gurdwara has now filed a federal e-petition requesting Ottawa to launch an investigation into the motive behind the murder, highlighting India as a source of foreign interference. It's a fear in the community as well. They really want to know like who the... Who the behind it. Flyers handed out advocating many to sign the petition. No surprise, it quickly reached nearly a thousand signatures by Monday. Also sponsored by Surrey Newton's Member of Parliament. It's very close to close to uh, my faith. It happened at the place of the worship that I have the faith in. Local homicide investigators are looking for two masked suspects, but so far no motive. Ottawa now has 45 days to respond to the petition while patience wears thin. They're feeling scared. And fear among this community grows. Kamel Karamali, Global News. Just ahead, a dramatic rescue on the side of a highway. The fiery emergency and how a quick-thinking hero jumped in to help. And later, Pride Week begins in Vancouver. My advocates say support is needed more than ever this year. Good evening and good news. Final clearing stages of a minor crash here in Surrey. Eastbound on Highway 1 just before 152nd Street in the right Surrey exit lane. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Global One at the Port Bridge. A Vancouver Island family is thanking the strangers who saved their 18-month-old twins from a vehicle fire. It happened Friday morning on the Trans-Canada Highway. As Kylie Stanton reports, the Good Samaritans arrived just in time. And that smell, I'll never forget that smell. It was a matter of minutes before this fire would destroy the vehicle and everything inside it. So scary. It was a matter of luck. These two made it out alive. You can replace vehicles and stuff like that, but people's, I don't even want to think about that kind of thing. There we go. On Friday morning, Adeline and Everly Onady's grandmother borrowed the family car to take the twins on an outing. But roughly 10 minutes into the drive, the car began to lose power. She pulled over here near the Burnside off-ramp on the Trans-Canada Highway. That's when she noticed smoke coming from the engine and called for help. My mom's panic made me panic, which made my wife panic. The couple found a ride and raced to the scene, where despite the smoke, they could finally breathe. So when I saw the two girls, even Everly, I saw her, she was just waving and she was saying dada. And from that point, I'm like, that's okay. These images, a glimpse of just how terrible the outcome could have been had one person just flame on this side, guys, not been in the right place at the right time. Just Johnny on the spot, period. That's all it was. Mark Phoenix had seen the grandmother in distress and pulled over. Together, they went to work on getting the girls out of their car seats. Two or three, maybe even five seconds after we left the vicinity of the vehicle, it, it 
burst into flames. They came that close. So we had moments. It was his actions that made a, the biggest difference. And now we can say that we have our girls with us. But the family, fresh off a of maternity leave, is now down a vehicle and a pair of car seats. A GoFundMe has now launched in hopes of helping them recover those items. And while it's not clear what caused the fire, an ICBC investigation is also underway. Do you want to see Daddy? Whatever the outcome, these parents are eternally grateful to Phoenix and the still unidentified driver of the other vehicle that also stopped to help and ultimately save their daughters. Thank you so much. Like, thank you for being there. Because I wasn't. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Up next, the summer of strikes. So I think the workers are becoming a little more emboldened. While labor unrest is heating up across the continent. Also ahead, a new strategy to deter smoking. What smokers will see next time they light up. Emergency crews are on scene to a two-car crash here in Surrey, southbound on King George Boulevard at 76th Avenue. Southbound traffic is back up past 88th Avenue approach. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted, and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Surrey. It's been a summer of labor unrest across the continent, from BC port workers to Toronto grocery workers to Hollywood actors and writers. Some experts warn more strikes could be on the horizon. And Gaviola explains what's fueling it from inflation to artificial intelligence. Combine a tight labor market, interest rates at the highest levels in a generation, and an affordability crisis while the rich keep getting richer. Just give us a little bit more, a piece of the pie. We help them to make this money, so we deserve better. The summer of strikes is here, and economists say we should expect even more labor unrest. There's always going to be this disruption when you move from the existing model to whatever a new model might look like. And so I think the workers are becoming a little more emboldened. Whether it's BC port workers, writers and actors, or Toronto area metro grocery workers, union leaders say there's a common thread to the frustration. Jobs being eroded, too much part-time work, not enough high-quality jobs with benefits and, and all of the things that we need in our lives to be able to support our families. And you can only do that for so long before people push back. While overall wages have risen, they haven't kept pace with inflation for some time. The Bank of Canada warned demanding higher wages could have unintended consequences. Tiff Macklin last summer warned Canadian workers to moderate their wage demands. And he said that if you get a little too out of hand, you're going to be a source of inflation that we're not currently factoring into our forecasts. Uh, that's still true today. In the case of the grocery workers, they saw a temporary bump in compensation during the pandemic. Canada's three largest grocery companies, Loblaw, Empire and Metro, reported more than $100 billion in sales combined and $3.6 billion in profit last year. Across uh, sectors of the economy that they're saying, wait a second, I think I've had enough of this. A new PWC poll shows 42% of Canadian employees say they have nothing left over for savings after paying their bills. And nearly one in four workers say they're looking for a new job in the next year. Another factor is anxiety about how AI will impact their industry and job prospects. All of this points to the potential for strikes this fall as well. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. 
New Health Canada regulations requiring warning labels on individual cigarettes are set to come into effect tomorrow. The change was announced earlier this year, making Canada the first country to take this step in the ongoing effort to help smokers kick the habit and deter others from picking it up in the first place. The wording on the cigarettes will be written in English and French on the paper around the filter and will range from warnings about smoking, harming children and damaging organs, as well as causing impotence and leukemia. Coming up, standing up to hatred. I think it's no secret that at the moment there is an increased amount of homophobia and transphobia. Why this year's Pride Week is especially important. And up next, a truck crash and a chocolatey mess. What happened here that's a chocolate lover's dream or nightmare? From the stories that affect us all to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. If you are a chocolate lover, this next story might be a little tough to stomach. Take a look. This was the scene in Colfax, California this morning, northeast of Sacramento. A truck carrying 40,000 pounds of chocolate caught fire, leaving this dripping mess on the side of the road. The driver told officials the brakes on his trailer failed. The road had to be shut down while the truck, as well as the mound of melting chocolate, was moved out of the way. Not sure how they did that, but somehow managed to clean it up. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon. Once again, with a look at our forecast, Christy, and uh, really no relief in sight in terms of precipitation. No, and of course, that's the biggest thing that we're looking at when we, it comes to fires. Not only that, Sophie, the relative humidity is so low right now. At one point today in the Sioux region, it was down to 13%. So that's incredibly dry. And then when we get heat on top of that, that really exasperates the situation. Now, we're watching the winds very closely. Uh, we are expecting the winds to pick up a little bit overnight, become more northwesterly wind. Uh, that helps to sort of push the fire away from the Sioux area, but will likely return to more southerly flow tomorrow. Uh, so we're hoping that those stay light so that it doesn't push uh, the fire any closer. Generally speaking, here's a look though. Yes, hot, dry weather expected. Low 30s over the next couple of days with an increase in temperature expected late in the week to mid 30 degree weather to potentially flirting with sort of heat warning criteria. So that's our big concern as we head into the weekend with no rain in the forecast. Now, northern portions of the province, central coast will start to see a bit of rain and a risk of thunderstorms, but not the case across southern BC and we may see a little bit of cloud cover or a weak front move across Wednesday and that could kick up the winds a little bit so we'll be tracking that closely. In the meantime the smoke seems to just be local smoke coming and going in and around the actual fires and we're not expecting much of a change as we head into tomorrow. So your Tuesday forecast is for cloud and a few showers across those northern regions but the beginning of a hot dry spell across southern BC and we'll see that here across the south coast also. So highs ranging from 23 to 27 degrees tomorrow across Metro Vancouver, but then approaching 30 degrees as we head towards the end of the week. And don't forget, we'll see a bit of humidity that will make it feel even hotter. But yes, the trend is for hot, dry conditions across southern BC. Tonight's central windows weather window was from Sunday night sunset. This is from Kamloops. Crystal Lee said that this was sort of combination of cloud and smoke in the area. Very cool shot indeed, but of course, not great that we're continuing mm. to deal with the smoke. So back to you.
Does make for some pretty incredible images, though. All right, thanks for that, Christy. Well, Vancouver kicked off Pride celebrations today with a flag-raising ceremony at City Hall. As Travis Prasad reports, this year's Pride comes amid a wave of backlash against the community, and organizers are stressing just how important it is for people to show support. City officials making it official. Do hereby proclaim the period of July 28th to August 6th as Pride Week in the city of Vancouver. A week for all things Pride. It showcases not only the city's support for diversity, but also necessitates the celebration of two SLGBTQIA plus folk. The annual celebration marked with a flag raising at City Hall. The Progress Pride and transgender flags now flying high above the city, along with First Nations Two-Spirit and Pride flags on the corner of Camby and 12. Pride Week's flagship event will be the 45th annual Pride Parade on Sunday. The Vancouver Pride Society has registered a record number of participants. This is a huge economic driver for the city. Uh, generates um, millions in, in revenue for restaurants, for hotels, for nightclubs. But most importantly, it's an uh, opportunity for the city to dem demonstrate its commitment to diversity and inclusion. This year, the long-standing parade route has been changed. It now starts in the West End at Denman and Davie and finishes at the Concord Pacific Grounds instead of Sunset Beach. So it's met quite different from years past and it's really an opportunity uh, to bring accessibility to the forefront uh, of the parade. This year's Parade Grand Marshal is a disability advocate. Heather McCain says the new route is closer to SkyTrain lines and will have wider walkways and more accessible viewing zones than before. We have members who have never been able to go to Pride before who are now going to be able to attend for the first time, which makes us so happy. The Vancouver Pride Society says homophobia and transphobia are undoubtedly on the rise. You can see that in a recent investment by the federal government of $1.5 million for Prides across Canada to increase security. Sexualizing children! The Pride Society calls protests like those at drag storytelling events acts of bigotry that everyone should condemn. Allies just need to show up. They need to be present to protect our communities, to celebrate our communities. Beyond the party, the community says Pride Week is a reminder of all the work to be done, despite the progress made. Travis Prasad, Global News. All right, JJ, our is in for Squire tonight. I'm still contemplating my Pride outfit. Oh, well, you got to have color. A lot of Lots color. Lots of color. A lot of color. It's... Mm -hmm. um, but we have a float. We have a mm -hmm. Global BC. Got the beads ready to go? I've got a boa, I think, like a feather boa. Oh. So I've got some rainbow things. Oh. But you got to stay cool, too. Yeah. Well, you will be cool with a boa, though. You'll be looking very cool. Well, not I think, looking cool. I think you go stay, lime. No, you got to go it, lime. Go lime with it. Boa. I got to stay cool in the heat. That's oh, what I'm yeah. saying. Okay. All right. <laughs> I have a fan with you. All right, looking forward to that, though. And what's coming up? Uh, well, the BC Lions are back at it today. They sit atop the West with a 6-1 record following their shutout victory in Edmonton. First game without Vernon Adams Jr., who's still nursing his knee injury. It's coming along, which is good. It's just this is such a short week. Uh, we want to give him one more. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's ready for the next one, um, just how things are going. So that means Dane Evans starts for the second straight game. Evans was solid against the Elks, only had seven incompletions. We'll see if he and the Lions can keep it going against the Bombers on Thursday. Also coming up tonight. I know you, you are, are but what am I? I? Paying tribute to Pee Wee Herman.
Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, he's he's explaining to me the bounty that is his vegetable garden right now. Monique's garden. And how the he's tomatoes not are coming to, in. He has this habit of just sort of eating from the garden as he wanders into his home, and he's yeah. not supposed to do that. I got in trouble for doing that yesterday. And you are planning to break the rules again. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm <laughs> going to go and I'm going to pick you tomatoes for tomorrow. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Monique. What I don't eat. I'm so in trouble What now. you don't eat. So here's what's going to happen when I get home from work. Monique will be waiting in the driveway to ensure I don't pick tomatoes. <laughs> or if you pick them, that you save them for me. They're for Sophie. Okay. That's my excuse. Thank you. Just pop them in quickly. Uh, sadness. Yeah, boy, oh boy, major disappointment at the Women's World Cup as Canada, the seventh-ranked country in the world, is out. Defending Olympic gold medalists were blown out 4-0 by Australia today. Shocking defeat and a stunning result. The Matildas ran at and through Canada all match long. Very few, uh, few threats on goal by a Canadian side who mustered little offense when it came to attacking opponents. Scored just two goals in three matches this World Cup. And one of those were an own goal. Appears to be the end of the World Cup line for Christine Sinclair as well. She hugged every teammate at the end of the match. Also grabbed some blades of grass from the pitch. Tough way for her and Canada to go out. Of course, the Matildas playing at home as co-hosts. You knew the stadium would be hopping. You knew Canada had to get off to a good start. And the only side that got off to a good start were the Matildas. Ninth minute. Halo Rasso, alone in the box. Defending wasn't good for Canada in the final third. They had trouble scoring, they had trouble attacking, didn't defend well. 39th minute, set piece for Australia. Corner kick gets mishandled by Kaylin Sheridan. It's the second of the match for Rasso. Canada just seemed to be second on every play, every ball. I don't mean to be... Debbie down here, but geez, downer indeed watching this. Hey, 50th minute, Mary Fowler just, nobody was near. Canada didn't get their first shot on target until almost the 70th minute. Another chance here in the 88th. Matilda's added a penalty. 4-0 the final. As I mentioned, a blowout. Canada eliminated from the Women's World Cup. Japan clinching Group C with their commanding win over Spain as they demolished them 4-0. First time in over a decade that the Spaniards have conceded four goals in a single match. Zambia claiming their first ever win on the World Cup stage. They downed Costa Rica 3-1. Both countries are already eliminated. And Nigeria played the Republic of Ireland to a hard-fought 0-0 draw as they advanced to the knockout stage for just the third time in their country's history. Vancouver Whitecaps have advanced to the round of 32 in the league's uh, cup tournament. Friday, they will host Mexican side Tigres at Beast Day Place. Sure didn't see this one coming as for the most part of last night's game against LA Galaxy. It looked as though the Whitecaps and the league's cup tournament was going to come to an end. They trailed 1-0 uh, 10 minutes before full time when Ryan Gold's cross into the box was turned into an own goal. That set the stage for Brian White's 91st minute game winner. White scoring his 12th goal across all competitions and that propelled Vancouver into the round of 32 where a win is the only way now you advance. Is this the moment for Vancouver? Through onto the inside. A chance in front and they've got it! Maybe at the death for the Vancouver Whitecaps and it's Brian White. The win is a, is a, is a steal. I, th I don't think we deserve to win, to be honest. I think the, 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 real, the real result should have been a tie and then deciding in penalty who, who was going to go through. But, uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, happens that you lose when you don't deserve to lose. And today 
we won, probably not deserving entirely to win. Yeah, obviously everyone's buzzing that we're, we're through. Um, you know, not a best performance by a long way, but we, we stuck in there and somehow, you know, ground out a 2-1. A it's a short work week for the BC Lions, who will once again start Dane Evans in Winnipeg on Thursday when they meet the Bombers. Evans was near perfect against the Elks as BC shut, uh, shut out Edmonton 27-0, so no need rushing Vernon Adams Jr. back, even though he's healing up and available if called upon. We are the same scenario as last week, as Dane's going to be the starter. Um, Dom Davis will be number two, and Vernon will be the emergency three. And uh, Vernon's coming along, which is good. It's just this is such a short week. Uh, we want to give him one more. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's ready for the next one, um, just how things are going. Obviously, you know, I knew what I signed up for when I got traded here. I'm, I'm not coming to step on anybody's toes. I think VA, when he comes back, is going to continue his MOP-like season. I fully expect that from him. Um, he's our leader, un undoubtedly. And uh, I'm just trying to do what I can do to help this team win until he comes back. Um, and then whatever happens from there, the chips will just fall where they may. And uh, we'll just figure that out when that happens. Nobody's going to be even close to this outstanding woman, Summer McIntosh, 400 IM, another gold medal for the 16-year-old from the Toronto area. Up less than 20 meters to go, Summer McIntosh is going to repeat as the world champion. Just a dominating performance in the pool on the weekend by Canada's Summer McIntosh at the World Championships. She was in full hydroplane mode as she blew away the field in the 400-meter individual medley. Left everybody in her wake, winning gold in a time of 4 minutes, 27.11 seconds. It's also the third fastest time in history. She, by the way, owns the fastest swim on record. Second gold medal of these worlds for the 16-year-old who won the 200 butterfly. Mum and dad proud. Mum was a pretty good swimmer in her uh, career as well. There's Summer McIntosh. She's going to be great at the Olympics next year. Yeah, she makes it look so easy. Doesn't she? Mm-hmm. 16 years old. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Jay. Up next, the life and legacy of Paul Rubens, or as you probably know him, Pee Wee Herman. All right, Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, another BC ferry is having mechanical problems. The Queen of Coquitlam is running behind on the Horseshoe Bay to Langdale Run. The good news is it is still running. At least it is right now. We'll continue to watch that. Plus, we'll show you what one family is doing to say thank you to the firefighters in Osuyus. The Jorgens were forced to leave their home Saturday night but returned today and they felt it was important to write out a message in large chalk letters. We'll be back tonight for Global News at 11. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Well, people of a certain age are reminiscing tonight, remembering a key figure from childhood. Paul Rubens, better known as Pee Wee Herman, has died at the age of 70. Dana Bacchus has more on Rubens' impact on a generation of kids and the controversies that clouded his career. With his adolescent humor, too tight suit and bow tie, Pee Wee Herman was an 80s phenomenon. I meant to do that. The brainchild of actor and comedian Paul Rubens, the oddball character rocketed to fame with the television series Pee Wee's Playhouse and the hit movie Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I know you are, but what am I? In 1991, Rubens' career suffered a major setback when he was arrested for indecent exposure in a Florida theater. 
He retreated from the spotlight for years, but eventually made a comeback in Hollywood, culminating with Pee-wee's Big Holiday, a 2016 movie for Netflix. You ever had two women fight over you? Uh, have I? No. In a statement released with the announcement of his death, Rubens apologized for not going public with his long battle with cancer and told his fans how much he loved them and enjoyed making art for them. Donya Backus, CBS News, Hollywood. I'm trying. He was 70 years old. Mm -hmm. He had the best bike. Art Come on, he had the best bike. What was his bike? Oh, yeah. Remember the bike, Christy? I remember the bike. Uh -huh. Yes, I do. Yeah. What was special about the bike? I'm going to have to look it up. You have to check it out. Okay. He was ahead of his time with that bike. They're all, they're all the bikes now that everyone's yeah. cruising around in. I see. Okay. Yeah. I'll look it up. All right, uh, Christy, <laughs> final word on the weather. So we'll be watching this series region very closely, of course, and we are expecting a shift back to be a more northwesterly flow tonight uh, and then a shift back to a southerly flow during the day tomorrow. I am a little bit concerned about Wednesday with potential for stronger gusts, so we'll be watching that very closely again tomorrow. But overall, tomorrow is expected to remain on the lighter side. For our region, no rain in the forecast. We're expecting sunshine and heat over the next several days, and for the interior region, that means mid-30s, potentially towards the end of the week. Sophie, back to you. Good tomato growing weather, Jay. It is. <laughs> and tomato picking weather. <laughs> Can't wait to get them tomorrow. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night. This is good.